0: Let's pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the Spirit of God rest upon us. Help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, in our believing, and in our living. Amen. Today's New Testament reading comes from Mark. I'll be reading chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came and, when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, "'Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your disease.'" He saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was about 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know about this and told them to give the girls something to eat. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning and greetings from Presbyterian Communities of South Carolina, or PCSC, as we often refer to it. It's a real treat to be here with you today um, to share, and if I can, I'd like to take just a couple of minutes to share a little bit with you about our our special ministry to older adults. We we do operate six retirement communities across the state, and uh, you've got one fairly close by here, uh, the village at Somerville, which was the first Presbyterian home. And we have a few connections uh, with the Mount Pleasant Church that I would like to point out. Uh, Matt Schorner, one of your members, is um, actually our statewide director of rehab therapy. Uh, Shirley Hendricks, another member, uh, is a former uh, board of trustees, member of our board of trustees. And uh, I see Andy uh, Whiteboggin here, and uh, she, along with Coleman-Ledgerton, are your PCSE ambassadors, and they... They help keep us connected to the special church called Mount Pleasant. It's great to great to see some familiar faces out there. Um, now, all of our communities, if you're not real familiar with our ministry, we operate, these six communities are what we call um, life plan communities, and they, they encompass all levels of care from independent living for seniors that really don't need any help with anything except maybe they just don't want to clean their, their house anymore, or they don't want to cook or mow the grass um, and folks that need a little help, like with dressing or maybe medicines, uh, live in assisted living. We uh, have memory care for people that are challenged with dementia and of course we have skilled care and we have short term uh, med A reimbursed uh, rehab for folks that have been sick from the hospital, they're, they're, they're getting well enough not to be in the hospital, but they're not quite ready to go home. They will come stay with us uh, for a short time until we can get them back on, their, back on their feet. I do want to share with you something really exciting going on at the Village right now, is we're constructing a brand new 24-room memory care center. Um, and what's exciting about this really, or different and unique, is that this is going to be the first memory care uh, household in the United States, designed according to the principles of the Association Montessori International, And uh, that should be completed in December and we'll we'll begin moving folks in there. And what what this means as a Montessori household is that um, we will be implementing Montessori methods with the seniors that we're serving who have uh, dementia needs. It's been uh, learned that the same principles that Melissa Montessori discovered worked with children also are wonderful for strengthening and sustaining the, uh, the abilities of older adults who have memory challenges. And so that's, a, that's one of the big developments we're excited to see hopefully come into focus here at the end of the year. You know when folks move in with us they receive opportunities for fellowship no matter what level of care they're in, um, intellectual stimulation, spiritual growth, um, and they find a caring staff there to help them when when, um, when needs arise. Of course, it's inevitable after years of living with us that some folks outlive their, their life savings through no fault of their own, sometimes because of costly medical crises. Sometimes God just gifts people with such old age that they outlive their savings. And we're grateful that God has always given us the means to be able to keep folks Uh, with us who have outlived their life savings through no fault of their own. And we've done that because of generous churches like the Mount Pleasant congregation. You all have been so faithful and generous in collecting the Mother's Day offering every year. And and it is is the contributions of churches and, and other donors that allow us to have a robust charitable care program so thank you for having me here thank you for doing all that you do to embrace our ministry and to show your love through older adults and and thank you for the opportunity to be here with you today it's, it's great to see some familiar you know susie and bart and uh you know it's very very touching to hear bart say that christy and i were of, of some help to him i i'm I hope we were. Certainly, I know we, we relied on people that had been in seminary a couple years before us to show us the ropes and give us advice, and I'm sure that, that Bart and Susie did the same thing to others that followed. And, and I'll also note, I've known Lib a long time. She and I both grew up at uh, Shandon Presbyterian in, in Columbia, and uh, her family and I have known, known uh, our families have known each other for, for many, 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 many years. So uh, it's just wonderful to be here with you all today. Uh, thank you for having me. So let's, um, if we can, uh, uh, let's uh, focus our hearts and minds on the words of Scripture that we're about to hear. These come from uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. Let us listen for the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. Moses, you are the one who shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua then said to the Israelites, Draw near and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that among you is the living God who without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is going to pass before you into the Jordan. So now select 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. When the, souls of the pre, When the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan, The waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. When the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the Ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan, While those flowing toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished Crossing over the Jordan. Here ends our reading. This is the word of the Lord. Jordan River, chilly and cold. It chills the body, but not the soul. So goes the old spiritual. And I wonder if that's what Carter thought. Our baptism is forever connected with the Jordan, and the Jordan holds a uh, special place in the church's memory and imagination. In baptism, we're reminded of the Jordan as a place of new beginnings, just as baptism is a new beginning in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we speak of, of brothers and sisters as crossing over to glory, and when we do that, we're using the imagery of the Jordan to describe the new beginning of those who die in Christ. Now, the significance of the Jordan River as a place of new beginnings naturally extends all the way back to what we just heard today, all the way back to the start of Israel's history as a settled people. It was The Jordan was the eastern border of the land that God had promised to give Israel, and so Israel had to cross the Jordan in order to take possession of its inheritance. Now, because of the significance of the Jordan and the church's consciousness, we can easily imagine that it was some mighty river, but in some places nowadays, if, if, in fact, if you've been to Israel, you you can you've seen for yourself. In some places, it's not much bigger than a ditch. Now it was never it was never what anyone would have considered one of the great rivers of the world, but back in those days, excuse me, back in these days, now it's it's even less so because so much water is taken out for agriculture, for drinking, for industry, and honestly, by the time the dead the, the Jordan empties into the Dead Sea, there's hardly anything left. In many places, uh, it looks like the Jordan is something that Israel could have pole vaulted over. But now our story takes place thousands of years ago, and it takes place at the time of harvest. And this, this was at the end of the rainy season when the snows of Mount Hermon were melting, and that all put the Jordan at flood stage. So at this point in time, the river would have been wide and treacherous, and the river would have been a genuine barrier to Israel's future. As with crossing the Red Sea, crossing the Jordan requires God's intervention. And so God commands, God promises, and God acts. God commands that the priests are to carry the ark into the waters, God promises that when they do, the waters of the Jordan will stop flowing and stand up in a heap, and then God acts to make the impossible happen. But it's important to note that this mighty act of God is not a solo act. Rather, Israel is called to act in cooperation with God. For the command, the promise, and the act of God, there is a required complementary response on the part of Israel. God commands Israel what it is to do. Israel listens. God promises what will happen, and Israel believes. Only when Israel acts in faith and obedience to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the river, only then will God act to make the waters of the river stand up in a heap. Now, the ark had been constructed 40 years earlier according to instructions that God gave Moses. The ark was to be made out of uh, acacia wood, about four feet long, about two feet tall, and about two feet wide. And God instructed that it be covered in gold. Inside the ark was placed the covenant that God made with Israel on Mount Sinai. And then on top of the box was a lid of sorts, which was called the mercy seat, and this was made of gold. On the the mercy seat, made of gold, there were these two um, cherubim that were sculpted at either end, and they they faced each other from either end with the wings outspread. Four gold rings were attached to the Ark of the Covenant so that the Ark could be carried on wooden poles that had themselves been overlaid with gold. Gold, gold, and more gold. In the harsh sunlight at the river's edge, the ark appeared as one solid, gleaming mass. Now, The significance of the ark was that it served as a throne of sorts for God. The Lord spoke to Moses from above the mercy seat. For Israel, then, the ark of the covenant signified the very presence of God with it. Now, of course, as the reading states... God was understood to be the Lord of all the earth, but God's presence was nevertheless signified and made obvious by the ark. Now, rather than swooping down from heaven on a fiery chariot to intervene single-handedly in Israel's challenge, the Lord does something different. The Lord commands Israel to take God straight into its difficult situation. So it is in Israel's Faithful, self-involving action that God then acts. From the mustard seed of God's, from the mustard seed of Israel's obedience, God makes his presence known and assures their hearts of God's power and intentions. You know, I think we're all guilty sometimes of of having a somewhat childish notion that uh, God should swoop in and solve all of our problems single-handedly. And sometimes God does act like that. Uh, to to, continue, to think more about the story of Israel, we know that uh, God provided manna for the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, right? Israel did nothing to make that happen. They had no self-involvement. It just They woke up in the morning, the manna was on the ground. The sun rises and sets every day, right? Not because we as human beings have anything to do with it, but because God single-handedly makes it so. But how many more times, how many more times does God act in concert with human beings? God's act to liberate Israel from Egypt was experienced in tandem with human actions. For example, it was through the reluctant leadership of Moses that God communicated to Israel. It was through the reluctant leadership of Moses that Israel was let out. From bondage. And when God killed the firstborn of Egypt, the angel of death passed over the Israelite households. Why? Because in faithful obedience, they could spread the blood of the Passover Lamb on their doorposts. Even our salvation in Jesus Christ happened in a most remarkable way through the united activity of the divine and the human. Our salvation was made real and effective not just because Jesus was the divine Son of God acting from God's side. Our salvation was also made real and effective because as a human being, Jesus acted from humanity's side doing what we could not do for ourselves. He offered the complete loving obedience to God that we could not or would not As a human being, he even carried our guilt to the cross and said amen to God's righteous judgment on our sin. And God has counted the righteous work done by one human being as done by all. Jesus Christ is, of course, a unique case of God and humanity acting in concert. But let me ask you about your own lives. Isn't Um, the joint activity of the divine and the human, the way that you and I have typically experienced God's blessing in our lives? Isn't this how we've typically known that the living God is among us? Now, I'm sure that we could all go around the sanctuary and tell stories of of a time in our lives or someone else's lives that we know that it's pretty clear God did act unilaterally, single-handedly to bring about a blessing or or, or, or to see someone through some kind of crisis. But I bet you that for every story like that we could tell, we could tell a hundred more about how God acted to bless us through the actions of someone else. When a child learns about Jesus Christ, doesn't this involve the active ministry of a parent or a Sunday school teacher? Indeed, you all promised to help raise Carter to know and love Jesus. So your human actions will be involved in God's divine work. When someone comes to faith in Christ at an older age, perhaps a conversion, doesn't it almost always happen through the witness of another believer? Someone who will listen and share and encourage Maybe simply provide a Bible. Just as it says in the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, it says this. How are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, how do you, uh, in this church, when you think about the needs of the community, maybe you have homeless people, you have needy people, the poor, and you want to help them, uh, I'm pretty sure that you don't pray and then go on about your business and forget, right? You do it the way all the other churches do it that I know of. You pray. You invoke God's help, and then you, you, you take up offerings, you, you have volunteer groups, you work collectively. You, some of you work individually for, for particular needs, such as homelessness or, or um, some kind of poverty. That's certainly how God worked to produce Presbyterian communities of South Carolina. We uh, celebrated our 60th anniversary Uh, three years ago, and during that time, I had the opportunity to read back through some of our history and to reflect on that, and, you know, what happened was the Presbyterian churches in the state began to to reflect upon the fact that, you know, they had some older members that really were no longer willing or, or even just able to live at home by themselves. And so a committee was formed, there was prayer, there was exploration, and over time these Presbyterian churches reached the conclusion that it was indeed the will of God that we should have a Presbyterian home in this state. The vision that they saw coming into focus was very different from what was the standard nursing home of the 40s and 50s. The vision was that this would be a place that people would come and live because they wanted to, not because they simply had to. So through prayer and discernment, the churches came to believe they had seized upon God's will, but that didn't mean that they could just sit back, did it? They prayed and prayed certainly, but they also put to work the human skills of their ministers and their members. There was great labor involved, there was great and generous giving from the churches and from individual members. And it took a decade of that giving and working. But what emerged was the first Presbyterian home, which is we now call the village at Somerville. So the first Presbyterian community came into existence through God and human beings working in concert together. Psalm 4 echoes a prayer we often make to God. Oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us. And that is a beautiful prayer, a wonderful prayer But when we pray like that, we also need to be asking ourselves whether we are doing everything we can, everything we're supposed to do, to give God an opening to shine God's face in our lives and in the world. Because the ark doesn't move on its own. It moves only as it is carried by those who hear, believe, and act. You know, when the priests carrying the ark approached the river's edge, I imagine there was some real, genuine wondering among the Israelites. Well, what's going to happen next? But that morning, Israel had risen. They had struck their tents. They had packed their belongings, and they had assembled themselves at the river's edge. They moved forward, and it counted as faith. Only by acting in concert with God does Israel experience what God promises and know that God will drive out all their enemies. And so it is with us. When we act according to the promise and command of God, God acts to make it known that the living God is among us. Praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and forever the God who is, who was, and is to come.